Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So there was a time in my life, actually this went on for years, when I was convinced that a motorcycle would meet my deepest needs. That would leave me finally fully satisfied, that would give me long term happiness, just a motorcycle. In fact, when I was seven years old and my little sister Delane was five years old, we approached my parents and Delane said, I really want a horse. And I said, I really want a motorcycle. They said, okay, not now. But I'll tell you what, in in that year in which Mike turns 14 and Delane turns 12, uh, when Mike turns 14 in January, we're going to get him a motorbike. And when Delane turns 12 in October, we're going to get her a horse. As long as you guys behave yourselves and help out around the house, that'll happen. And I don't know whether they thought that we would forget about that promise, but we most definitely did not. We talked about it all the time, all the adventures that we would have when I had a motorcycle and Delane had a horse. And lots of times I would go to sleep at night kind of thinking about all the daring deeds that I would perform on my brand new shiny motorcycle. Okay, so I'm 13 and a half. That's important, okay? So I'm six months before my pivotal 14th birthday. I'm 13 and a half. I go to the auction mark with my Uncle Hank, and he's there to buy cattle, but there was also a litter of German Shepherd puppies at the auction mark that day, and for me, it was love at first sight. There was one particular dude, and I was like, man, that puppy there, we're going to be best friends. So I went to my Uncle Hank. I said, Uncle Hank, could you please let me get a German Shepherd puppy. He said, look, if it's okay with your mom, it's okay with me. Why don't you give her a call? So he handed me a quarter and I went over to the payphone and I dialed my mom and I had a conversation that I'm sure like millions of kids have had with their mom over the years. I'm like, mom, there's puppies here and I will brush that puppy. I will walk that puppy. I will feed that puppy. I will clean up that puppy's poop. Can you please let me have a puppy? She said, Mike, I don't even know what you're talking about. Slow down. So I took a breath. I said, mom, there's German shepherd puppies at the auction mart. And there's one here, like, I love him. And when you meet him, you're going to love him too. And we're going to be best buddies. And Uncle Hank says that if it's okay with you, it's okay with him. He's going to get me the puppy. And my mom says, Uncle Hank said that. Well, wasn't that nice of him? I said, yeah, it was so nice. Mom, can I please get a puppy? And she paused for a second and she said, well, you know, it's a lot of responsibility to have a puppy. I said, I know, mom, but I told you. She said, yeah, I I know, but but it's a lot of responsibility. And it's also a lot of responsibility to have a motorcycle. So I think we're going to do it this way. You need to choose. You can have the puppy or you can have the motorcycle. It's up to you. So I hung up and I went to my Uncle Hank. I said, she said, yes. And we brought that little puppy home and we named him Trapper and he grew up and he was better than a hundred motorcycles to me. But I've been thinking about it lately and it was really a brilliant piece of parenting, wasn't it? Like, I don't know if my Uncle Hank was in on it or not, but my mom did a great job of negotiating. See, I don't think she wanted me to get a motorcycle when I turned 14 because I think back when I was seven years old, it seemed like a good idea. But as she saw me grow up, she probably thought I was the kind of 14-year-old kid that probably wouldn't do really well with a motorcycle. Two PSs to this story, by the way. Number one, you're probably wondering, did my sister Delaine get a horse when she turned 12? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. And just the other day, like about a week ago, Corinne did not know I was preaching on this story, but she came up to me and she said, you know, I figured out another reason why I know that we were meant to be, why we are perfect for each other. I said, what is that? She said, because you chose a puppy over a motorcycle. 
And then she gave me a big hug. I don't really know what she meant, but I'll take it, you know? But I bring all that up because we're in this series called You Matter. And believe it or not, listen to this. It's a series about the Ten Commandments. And what's crazy about that is when I say it's a series about the Ten Commandments, there's part of you and there's part of me that thinks to ourselves, that sounds so boring. Like I'd rather sit and watch the dandelions on my neighbor's lawn grow. That sounds awful. And I wonder why we think that. I I think we think that because somewhere along the line, we've been convinced that God is a wrecker of fun and a taker of joy. And and so his commandments and his laws, they're just a means by which he wrecks our fun and takes our joy. But we called this series, You Matter, because it's important that I tell you that you matter to God. That the God who spoke the universe into existence loves you fully, completely, and unconditionally. And he's for you. He has a good plan for your life. And so his goal for you is not to wreck your fun. His goal for you is to bring you blessing. And therefore his commandments are not injunctions against fun. They are invitations to be blessed. And so last week I talked about the first commandment. I said, the first commandment, God said, no other gods, only me. And the reason he gave the first commandment is because your freedom matters. Well, today I want to talk about the second commandment the second commandment. God gave this commandment because you matter. Let me read it. Exodus 20 verse four. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You matter. And specifically God issued the second commandment because your life matters. Let me explain it to you this way. I think deep down inside, we all know that we can't save ourselves. You can't save yourself and I can't save myself. Like it sounds kind of harsh when we say it out loud, but it's true, right? Like I think we all know that there's something broken inside of us that we can't fix on our own. Like we know that because we'll be walking along and the day will be beautiful. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, everything outside is going great, but something inside isn't great and it's affecting every part of my life. There's a brokenness inside of me. And there's a wholeness that I, that, that I long for that I can't attain on my own. And what, what I mean by that is I want to live a wholehearted life. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to live a wholehearted life. So I want to be the exact person that I want to be. I want to say the right stuff. I want to do the right stuff. I want to, I want to be the right way. I want to attain the right things. I want to wake up every morning and do exactly what I had planned. But the problem is I'm not completely wholehearted and either are you. There's something about us. We don't always do exactly what we want to do. We don't always say exactly what we want to say. We're not always the person that we long to be. And finally, there's a hope that we want to attain, but we can't attain it on our own. It's this sense that I will get past my past. I hope that I'll have the strength for today, that I can stop worrying about tomorrow and know that I am safe for eternity. I can't attain any of those things on my own. I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not well-behaved enough. I'm not good looking enough because the standard is perfection and I'm not enough. 
And as harsh as it is to say out loud, in the second commandment, God is saying, we all know it. And therefore, for our entire lives, every single one of us is going to be looking, is going to be longing for someone or something outside of ourselves to fix the things that are broken, to make us wholehearted, and to, <clears throat> and to give us the hope that we long for. And God says, really, there's only two choices. Number one, you're going to worship God. It's, it's very interesting because one of the names that the Hebrews gave to God was the name Yahweh. Maybe you've heard it before. And Yahweh means God saves. Who saves? God saves. Who fixes what's broken inside of me? God does. Who makes me wholehearted? God does. Who gives me hope? God does. But the second commandment says that I can also choose a second alternative, a a second savior that I look to save me. And that's basically anything else besides God. The, The Bible refers to those things as idols. And God says no idols. Why? Because your life matters. I like the way that Rick Warren put it. He said, the problem with idols is threefold. Number one, they disappoint. Number two, they deceive. And number three, they dominate. Idols will disappoint you, they'll deceive you, and they'll dominate you. So first I want to talk about the fact that an idol will disappoint you. In my first year at Trinity Western University, in my dorm was this guy named Derek. And Derek was different. He was from Ontario. And and I should actually restate that. Like, it sounds like I said Derek was different because he's from Ontario. I, I don't mean that. Okay, so let me say that again. Derek was different, period. Derek was from Ontario. Okay. But, but he really was different than the other guys in the dorm. I'll give you an example. Like Derek in his dorm room had like racks and racks and racks of clothes. And they were full of really, really fancy dress clothes. Like double digit three piece suits all lined up. And Derek also had shoe racks and, and his shoe racks were full, not of Jordans, but of like shiny dress shoes and leather loafers. Also, Derek had more hair care products in his dorm room than I had ever seen before in my life. That's not saying a lot, I'm from Red Deer, but, but still, he was a little bit different than the other guys in the dorm. But not only was he different, uh, he was pretty grumpy and pretty gruff. And so those three things kind of came together. He was different, he was grumpy, and he was gruff. And it meant that Derek spent a lot of time alone and being in his dorm, I began to notice it. So I made an attempt to kind of break through his grumpiness and break through his gruffness. And we started to hang out a little bit. We weren't best buddies, but we were definitely friends, which is an interesting combination, like a redneck from Red Deer and a hair care product guy from Ontario. But we were friends and we would talk lots. And one of the things that Derek would bring up a lot is that he was waiting for a big inheritance. I didn't really find the topic overwhelmingly interesting, so we didn't follow up on it much, but I could sure tell that Derek was very excited about that inheritance. So after we graduated, Derek and I kind of lost touch. But a couple of years after graduation, Corinne and I moved back into Langley, close to Trinity Western University. And one day I was there in the Trinity Western University weight room. And I ran into Derek. And Derek was still a little different, a little grumpy, and a little gruff. And as we began to talk, it sounded like Derek didn't have a very full social schedule. So I suggested to him, hey, why don't we play tennis? I know you like tennis. Why don't we play tennis a couple times a month? And he was into it. And so we would do that. And when we were playing tennis, every once in a while, he would bring up that inheritance again. And I actually started to think that maybe he was just making it up until one particular Sunday afternoon, 
Derek called me at home. We were supposed to play tennis and he called me. He said, I'm coming to pick you up. Now he had never picked me up for tennis before. I said, no, I can just meet you there. It's fine. He said, no, 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 I'm picking you up. You want me to come pick you up. And so he did. And when he arrived, I knew why he had, he came in a brand new expensive sports car. He came roaring into my driveway. He flipped open the passenger door. I got in and I said, Derek, you got your inheritance. He said, great deduction, Michael, great deduction. He said, I bet it is killing you to find out exactly how much I got. And I said, well, no, it, it really is. And then he told me, and it turns out what he got was like enough for several lifetimes for anyone that I knew. So when he was, we're driving to the, he took the long road to the tennis courts the windiest road that he could find because he just wanted to show me how this new sports car of his handled. And I gotta be honest with you, I'm not good at stuff. Like if you get a new car and you wanna show it off to somebody, I'm not your guy, okay? I get motion sick super easy. So Derek's like roaring around all these corners and I'm just getting, I'm like close to throwing up. So finally we pull up at the tennis courts and I come wobbling out of his brand new sports car, but Derek's ready to play tennis. So he opens his trunk and he grabs a brand new tennis racket in a brand new tennis racket cover. He takes off his leather loafers, I kid you not, and puts on a brand new pair of tennis shoes. And we go, we start to play. But I'm sick. Like I'm just trying not to throw up. And so the way we used to play is we played the first one to win two sets. Well, Derek wins the first set, six, nothing. After the first set, I said, Derek, can I have a drink of your water? I forgot my water bottle. He said, sure. So when Derek brought water, he didn't bring like a little water bottle like I used to. What he would bring is he'd bring like a big water cooler, okay, with like a, a lid that screwed off and he would load it full of ice and lemon slices. I remember always thinking to myself, I gotta start doing that and I never did. But anyways, it was awesome. And so, and what he would do is he would set up on a bench and then he would bring a cup and he would fill up his cup and he, that's how he would drink water. I didn't have a cup, so I would just hold it up and I was drinking this delicious lemon water. And it actually started to make me feel better. So we get into the second set and Derek's up four games to one. But now I'm really starting to feel better. And so I started to come back, four, two, four, three, four, four, five, four, me, six, four, me. I win the second set. And so now we go into the third set, the pivotal final set. And every couple games we would play and then we would sw switch sides. And every time we switch sides, I would just grab another drink, a drink of Derek's water. So I got three games to one in the third set. And I'm on my way to grab a drink of Derek's water. But before I can get there, he runs in front of me and he grabs his water bottle or his water cooler. He unscrews the lid and he stares at me and he dumps it out. All those little lemon wedges are just floating away on the tennis court. I'm like, okay. So we kept playing four, one me. And just as I'm about to go up five, one in that third set, Derek walks up to the net takes his brand new tennis racket, smashes it over the pole that's holding that, drops it, picks up his empty water cooler, gets in his fancy new sports car and squeals out. And I have never heard from or talked to Derek again. And I just remember sitting against a tree outside of the tennis court, waiting for Corinne to come pick me up. And I felt so sad for Derek. Because you want to think about it, right? Like he squealed out of the parking lot in what? Well, his fancy new sports car. His fancy, his fancy new sports car that he got from what? Well, the inheritance that he had been waiting and talking about and looking forward to for years and years and years, and it had become his idol and it disappointed him. 
See, that fancy sports car and all that money, it didn't make him better at tennis, did it? And that doesn't really matter. But beyond that, it didn't fix that brokenness inside of him that made him react with rage to a recreational tennis game. Idols will do that. Idols disappoint you. And the second thing they do is that they deceive you. Idols deceive you. See, somewhere along the line, if you look to something else besides God to save you, you're going to realize that what's broken inside of you isn't being fixed and the the wholeness you were looking for isn't happening. The hope that you're striving for isn't getting any closer, but your idol will tell you you're actually on the right track. You just got to run a little bit harder. You're on the right track. You just got to run a little bit harder. So if your idol is sex, it'll just say, well, you, you just need more sex. If your idol is popularity, you'll just think, man, I just need more popularity. If your idol is money, and you're not finding, any, you're finding yourself any more whole or, or, or any more healed or any more hope in your life, money will tell you, no, no, you're, you're on the right track. Just run a little harder. So interesting. I read about a study the other day, you've probably seen this study, that in Canada, the optimal income for emotional well-being, the optimal household annual income for emotional well-being in Canada is between 60 and $75,000 a year. And if you make more than $95,000 per year in your household, the more you make, the lower your emotional sense of well-being goes. And here's what's crazy. We don't even really believe that. It doesn't make sense to us because as a culture, we've been deceived by the idol of money. And idols convince us, no, 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 you're on the right track. You just got to run harder. And the sad thing is, is if you get to the end of your life and you realize that you've been setting lap records on the wrong track your whole life. See what idols do is they disappoint you, they deceive you, and finally they dominate you. Psalm 115 verse eight says, if you worship an idol, you'll become like that idol. What an interesting thought. Like, have you ever known someone whose idol is like collecting cars? Like it just becomes like everything to them. It becomes this big thing to them. Have you ever tried to talk to that person about anything besides cars? What's it like? Not very good because everything else around their idol has become very dim, right? Or somebody who, for, for them, winning has become an idol. Like winning is how they get their validation. Winning is how they feel whole. Well, you know what happens to that person, right? Like everything around them, they just pull it, they use it to, to help. Like if you want to know if winning might be an idol for you, just ask yourself this. Every time you play team sports, do you stack the teams so that you have the best team? That might be a temptation if, 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 if winning might be an idol for you. What about if like vacations are an idol? Like, have you ever met that person? Call him Vacation Fred. Vacation Fred just lives for that next vacation. He just can't wait. And what happens is everything, the rest of his life just dims. And what's sad about Vacation Fred is that he's looking forward to these big moments coming up, but he misses those day-to-day moments, the best moments of his life. See, an idol will dominate you. Let me say it another way. Someone asked Jesus once, they said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, I got to give you two. Love God and love people. 
your life matters. For you to really live life, you need to love God and love people. And so what do you do with the things of this world? You use the things of this world to love God and love people. And what happens when you have an idol? When you have an idol, the next thing you know, you're going to be using God and using people to love the things of this world. It's going to be flipped upside down and you're going to become the person that you never dreamed that you would be. You're going to use God, right? 13-year-old Mike Manis would have said it this way, God, please, if you're real, give me a motorcycle. You know, a 30-year-old might say, give me a promotion. Give me a summer house. Give me an inheritance. Give me that new car. Whatever it might be. And God says, I know you better than you. Stop telling me what to do. Jesus said, pray this way. Not my will, but your will be done, God. But you, when you worship an idol, the next thing you know, you're even going to be using the people around you to, to gain that thing that you idolize. That's the problem with idols. They disappoint you, they deceive you, and they dominate you. And that's why the second commandment says, your life matters more than that. Jesus saves you. And with Jesus, you can be secure because Jesus will never disappoint you. Jesus forgives your past. He heals your hurts. He empowers your present. He gives you purpose for tomorrow and the promise of eternity. Jesus will never disappoint you. And Jesus will never deceive you. Jesus will tell you exactly what's going on. He'll tell you, you can't save yourself. That's why Jesus stepped into human history. He came and he died and he rose again. Why? To do for you what you can't do for yourself. To do for me what I can't do for myself. That's what mercy and grace is. If you could save yourself, Jesus wouldn't have done all that. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this sermon this morning and I was thinking about God's incredible capacity to love. And and I was reading in the gospel of John chapter 15 and Jesus says to his disciples, he says, greater love has no one but this, to lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down their life for their friends. And when I read that, I thought, Jesus, what would you ever see in me that you would want to be my friend? You know, the Bible says that Jesus is your friend. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but every once in a while I look and I go, why would you want to be my friend? And and, and I guess maybe it's important for me to tell you, Jesus will never deceive you. What does he see in you? He sees beauty in you. He sees incredible perseverance in you. Man, you're still standing. What a 14 months we've had. You're amazing. He he sees gifts in you. He sees love in you. He loves your personality. He loves your sense of humor. He actually has an infinite capacity to love and he sees a lot in you and he loves you fully and totally and completely right now. And his capacity to love is so incredible that he has the capacity to love you fully and unconditionally right now. And yet he also loves your potential. It's incredible. Like he's not looking at you right now and going, would you please get your, your stuff together? He's not. He loves you absolutely completely right now. That's not a deception. And yet he also has the capacity to look ahead and go, man, I can't wait to see what you're becoming. It reminds me of the story of Michelangelo when he was 
making that masterpiece called David. And someone said to him, how did you carve such a masterpiece? He said, oh, it's easy. I looked at the stone. I found David and I just chipped away everything that wasn't him. That's all he wants to do. He loves you completely right now, but he sees what you're going to be too. And it's exciting. And finally, Jesus will never dominate you. I think for a lot of people, we look and we're like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to trust God. I don't know if I want Jesus to be my savior because I just, I want to be me. You know, I don't want to be controlled by anyone or anything else. And it got me thinking about the fact that you started out as a dream in the mind of God. You, you started out as a dream in the mind of God. Like he thought you up. He designed you. You're his idea. And he loves you completely. And he has a plan for you. And it's a good plan that you would be fully, completely, and totally alive. And how will that happen? As you become fully, completely, totally yourself. See, he's the author of you. And and I guess what I'm suggesting is why wouldn't you let him be the finisher (laughs) in the best possible way? You're the masterpiece. He's the artist. Let him chip away. Let him chip away. Let him chip away. Fully, completely, and totally alive. Fully, completely, totally yourself. Why no idols? Because you matter. Because your life matters. And just as I close, I want to I wanna stay with that picture. I, I, I want you to know you're a masterpiece. That you are loved completely by God right now. And your first step to becoming fully, completely, totally alive and fully, completely, totally yourself your first step towards fixing what's broken inside of you step by step, moment by moment. Your first step to becoming a wholehearted person, to having hope for yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. Your first step is to accept what Jesus did through his death and resurrection. And I want to invite you to begin that incredible process. Fully, completely, totally alive. Fully, completely, totally yourself. You are so loved. Everything that needed to be done has already been done. All you need to do is accept what Jesus purchased for you through his death and resurrection. So if that's you today, I want to give you the opportunity to pray, to accept that gift. So I'm going to pray out loud wherever you are. Just pray along with me, please. So dear Jesus, thank you that you are the artist and I'm your masterpiece. So I come to you today to take that first step. Jesus, I trust you to be my savior. I pray that you would mold me and shape me Thank you that I am loved completely and totally right now. And yet you're not even close to done with me. I pray that you would forgive my sins, heal my hurts, give me strength for today, hope for tomorrow and the promise of eternity. I'm so thankful, God, that you died and you rose again so I can too. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm so excited. Would you do me a favor, please, and text the keyword LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 604 670 3040. We don't want to stalk you, but we want to support you. Last thought. Man, I'm telling you, this series is going to be encouraging. It it has the potential to change our lives. And it's a complete and total mind shift. And I want to invite you to be back, to get past this point where we're thinking that God is out there to wreck our fun and realize, no, no, no. God is a bringer of blessing. And when he gives us a law, when he gives us a command, all he's doing is inviting us to become fully, completely 
alive by becoming fully, completely ourselves. So please don't miss a week. I love you guys so much. I'm so privileged to be on this journey with you. See you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.